Okay, hey everybody. Uh, let me welcome everybody at uh, all of our campuses and those of you who are watching on the live stream. We're going to be studying Matthew chapter 6 tonight. So if you've got your Bible or today, whether you're on wh whenever it is, uh, man, we're going to study Matthew chapter 6. So grab your Bible, open it up, first book in the New Testament. It's on page 811. If you want to use one of our Bibles that we supply on our campuses, grab that and you'll be ready to go. Hey, for those of you who are watching online, man, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're watching and we hope this will not become a distraction for you that will keep you from ever getting connected with one of our campuses here, you know, if it's physically possible. Now, look, if you're in Zimbabwe, British Columbia, we get it, enjoy. But man, if you're within driving distance, don't short yourself. I'm telling you, this is gonna be one of those services that you're really gonna to wanna to be a part of. Now, I also wanna ask every Compassion Christian to be praying over our church for the next few days because of our Next Level Leadership Conference. You've already heard about that. But man, we got pastors, leaders, volunteers, men, women, uh, youth coaches, college students coming from literally all over the country uh, to the Henderson campus here to talk about how to build the health of their church and hopefully overcome the barriers that the devil puts in place to keep your church from going from one level of kingdom impact to the next and the next and the next. I believe God wants his church to grow. I believe the church wants to grow. And if it's healthy, it will grow. And so, man, just pray that God will bless us. We got people coming from California, Indiana, all over the South. Uh, as, and just pray that God will bless us as we try to bless the leaders from our sister churches who are coming in. Uh, and if you want to help us out, man, go to Connecting Point. We'll put you in play. Uh, every year, people say the best part about the next level is the volunteers. And I'm like, well, what about the pastor? No, it's the volunteers. It's the volunteers. And so, man, thanks for coming to share and serve. Let, let's just pray right now that God will use our church, all right? Father, we are so thankful for the way that you have used churches in the past to inspire other churches. Or the church in Jerusalem was that way. The church in Antioch was that way. The church in Rome was that way. The church in Ephesus was that way. And Father, I am thankful that in a very small way, you've made Compassion Christian that way. And I pray, God, that people will be able to come from churches all over the country and the world and see what you are blessing here, the values and the efforts that you bless here and then take that home, Lord, so you can bless it there. And we pray all this in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, good, good, good. Hey, this is the final installment in a series that we've been calling Blind Spots, where we've been talking about some spiritual blind spots that are hard to see and dangerous to live with. So we talked about the danger of living with any kind of guilt. Christians should not live with guilt. You should see it. You should deal with it like that. Bam. Uh, Christians should not deal with, uh, live with jealousy or anger or greed. You know, more, more, more. I want more. But today we're going to talk about two steps that you can take to deal with all of that stuff. We're going to talk about for confession and forgiveness. So let's start out uh, by saying a prayer that all of us have probably heard and many of us have grown up praying. We call it the Lord's Prayer because this is the prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray in fact, I want to show you a video of one of our little disciples who learned how to pray this prayer at our East Campus. Y'all take a look at this. Thank you, God. Now, our Father. Lord in heaven, hallowed be my name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and give us our trespasses we read those who trespass against us. We will not enter the patient, but live with us from evil. God is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Forever, forever. Amen. 
<laughs> yes. Brooks. Brooks Coleman. Ain't he cute? But that prayer, that prayer has teeth. Okay, so let's all stand up and let's not say it. Let's keep our eyes wide open and let's pray it all together. Uh, I'm going to put up the words to what my friend Mike Trainer calls the Shakespearean version because that's what some of y'all may have learned as a kid. And let's pray this prayer all together, wide open. Here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, God bless you, everybody. Have a seat. Now, let me ask you a question. What line in this prayer is the hardest to pray and the hardest to obey? No question in my mind, it's verse 12. Lord, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. Now, you know, Muhammad Ali was uh, born and grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. And he said when he was a kid, his parents gave him a brand new bicycle and he loved that bicycle. And a few days later, somebody stole his bicycle. And man, he was complaining to, about, to, it about a, to a police officer and the cop asked him, well, if you find out who stole your uh, bike, what are you going to do about it? He said, I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And so the police officer took him down to the gym and began teaching him how to box. And Muhammad Ali said, to this day, I never found that bike. But every time I got in the ring, I look across at my opponent and I think, I bet that's the guy that stole my bike. <laughs> and let me tell you, that attitude might make you a great boxer. But how does that square with what Jesus taught us to pray? Forgive us our debts as I forgive my debtors. Now, you know, we all like that first part. Lord, forgive me my debts. I mean, forgive me for my sins. I want that. I need that. But that second part, that's a blind spot for a lot of us. That's just a blind spot. Forgive me as I have forgiven everybody who owes me, everybody who is in debt to me because of sin. Dude, that is a blind spot for many of us. However, Jesus made it pretty clear that when we really understand the supernatural way that God has forgiven us, there would be a supernatural response of forgiveness in us. And we would extend that same kind of grace to the people who owe us. Now, for some of us, this message is going to be the most important one in this whole series because some of us have a really hard time receiving God's forgiveness. I mean, maybe you put your faith in Jesus and you were baptized, but you still feel guilty. Friend, you need to believe what God said. You need to believe that God has forgiven you and saved you and accepted you. Others of us have a real struggle forgiving anybody that has offended us. And maybe you're holding a grudge right now. And if I ask you who it was, you could tell me the name right now. It's somebody you hate. It's somebody who hurts your family. It's somebody that you want to hurt. Dude, the way they hurt you. And if that's you, can I just say, please listen today. Holding on to that kind of hate is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It doesn't work. And I'm praying at the end of this service today that you're going to let Jesus do a transforming work in your heart and you're going to let him forgive you your debts and empower you to forgive those who are indebted to you. So we're going to look at both sides of this equation today, receiving forgiveness and extending forgiveness, because I'm telling you, one depends on the other. Jesus starts out by saying, forgive us our debts. Let me tell you the truth. Everybody here owes a huge 
sin debt to God. Can I get an amen? amen? You know, Paul was the apostle who delivered the good news to basically the entire Roman world. And he tries to remind us of this in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 3.23, he says, you know, all of us have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Now, you know what our temptation is in our pride is to compare ourselves to the worst person we know. And when we do that, you know, we don't feel like we need to be forgiven for that much. But what Paul says is, you fall short. You have fallen short. We've all fallen short. And if we're honest, the truth is we've done it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we commit the sins of commission. You know, the apostle John was a really close friend of Jesus. And he actually was the apostle who lived to be the oldest. And at the end of his life, he was an old man. He still thought it was important for us to be honest about the danger of the darkness within us, the sin that we struggle with. He wrote in 1 John 3, 4, everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And as much as you love the Lord, I bet you can think of a time this week when you did something that you you knew was wrong. Man, maybe you passed one of your friends on the way to your D group in the morning way over the speed limit because you thought you were late and you didn't want to get there before him. I'm just saying hypothetically, maybe that happened to somebody. (laughs) Maybe you got this budget-busting urge to go buy something you couldn't afford. And you broke a commitment that you made to God and to your family and to your spouse about staying, staying out of dumb debt. Maybe it's a weed that you just like to roll up in white paper and you keep telling yourself you can quit anytime you want to. Of course, you've been doing it since high school and you expose yourself and your family to risk and humiliation every time you do it. But you don't care. You still do it. Maybe you watch something on a little screen that you know is damaging to your heart. And if other people knew about this, it'd embarrass you to death. And it would hurt the people that you love the most. Or maybe you overdrank again, lied again, stole again. And friends, when we intentionally lie and steal and break any of the commandments of the Lord Jesus, man, we're guilty of sins of commission. But you know what? Sometimes we're guilty of sins of stumbling. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You know, we, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, on the night that Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter, you know, is standing by the wrong fire with the wrong folks and he's feeling the wrong kind of pressure. And then a little servant girl says, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, right? And suddenly everybody's looking at him, all the pressure's on him. And Peter just blurts out, dude, I don't even know that guy. He didn't intend to do that. Listen, his intention was to support Jesus, but he got under pressure. And he stumbled in a way that denied the Lord and humiliated him. And you know, that can happen to you. You get startled and you say something that you'd give anything to take back. You get upset and you lash out in anger. You don't mean to do it. It just happens and you stumble into sin. You know, for some of us, it's the sin of omission. You know, James goes on to say, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. You know, there are things that we know we should do that we don't. You know Jesus taught you to tithe your income and give generously to the poor, but you don't do it. You know you're supposed to be patient with your child, but you aren't. You know you should invite your coworker to church, but you're scared, so you don't. You know, I went to a meeting on Tuesday night, and I parked on Broughton Street downtown, and I walked several blocks to the Five Spot restaurant because obviously I did not know where the Five Spot was. (laughs) But anyway, when I came back, there's a parking ticket on my windshield, and I couldn't believe it. I got there super late in the afternoon. Parking was free. I didn't pay any attention to the parking thing at all. And when I saw that ticket, man, I walked under that parking meter just to make sure I was right. And it said parking enforced until 8 (laughs) o'clock. 
And I parked there from six to seven and I did not do the right thing. I committed the sin of omission. I was guilty as a dog. And the wages of sin is 20 bucks on Broughton Street. All right. You know what? There are also the sins of your thought life. You know, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it says that the judgment of God came down on the people in the days of Noah. Why? Because their imagination and the thoughts of their hearts were all evil all the time. Listen, in Matthew chapter five, right before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, you've heard the commandment says you shall not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if any of you even looks at a woman with lust, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What is that? Fantasizing. What is the biggest addictive problem in America today? Pornography. What's that driven by? Lust. Lust happens in your head. Psalm 94, 11 says, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. I mean, how often do you realize that God knows what you're thinking all the time? All the time. Right now in church. Might want to check that. I'm telling you, if the thoughts that you think you're in worship service sometime were scrolled up on these big screens, some of y'all will be trying to get out of here right now. <laughs> you know, the Greek word for sin is hamartia. And it simply means missing the mark. And the idea is an archer, you know, shoots at the target. And if he hits anything but the bullseye, he missed the mark. And I'm telling you, man, sin is missing the mark. And friends, anytime we, listen, if anytime you insist on doing what you know is wrong, you fail to do what you know is right. You stumble into sin or you think in sinful ways on an average day. How many times do you think you sin? And I mean, if you did that just one of those four things every day, that'd be 1,500 sins a year. And if you lived to be 70 years old, you'd stand before a holy God, the judge of the living and the dead with 102,000 violations of his will against your record. But thank God, if you're in Christ, that's not gonna happen. Man, God saw how weak we are. He didn't respond with anger and disappointment. He responded with grace. Man, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. So insist, instead of insisting that you pay the debt for your own sin, God sent Jesus to pay that debt for you. And this is why even though he lived a perfectly sinless life, he allowed himself to be arrested and tortured and crucified for your sin and my sin. And then Paul, God wrote about a third of the New Testament, who was a violent, hard man, who eventually became a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Paul wrote, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, everybody say in him. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, friend, we all have a sin debt that is either going to be forgiven or it's going to be the reason you go to hell. But it is only going to be forgiven in him. Man, when Jesus Christ died on the cross spiritually, the Bible said that God laid all of the iniquity of our sin on him. Man, God took that 102,000 sins on your record and he took that 502,000 sins on my record and he just heaped them on the Lord Jesus at the cross as a payment for our sin. And man, this is why right before he died, he said, it is finished. That was a commercial term. It means paid in full. Jesus said his death on the cross paid the full debt for mankind's sin. And that's why the apostle Paul, you know, when, when, when he told, when he put his faith in Jesus, uh, Ananias told him, Paul, get up, be baptized, man. 
have your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. Isn't that crazy to think 102,000 violations could just be washed away because you put your faith in Jesus? Man, when you put your faith in the historical, resurrected Jesus and you give him your life, then the payment that he made for your sin on the cross goes into effect and you can receive the forgiveness of God because of grace. Now, you don't have to earn it, thank God, because you can't. You don't have to deserve it, thank God, but you never will. But you do have to acknowledge that you have a sin debt, like Jesus teaches us to pray every day in the Lord's Prayer. And you need to ask him to be the forgiver of your life and the, leader, the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And Paul found out when you do that, Jesus pays for your sin. How I many he wrote in Romans chapter 6? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody say, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not because you're a nice person, not because you're an American, not because you know a lot of Bible verses, but because you have chosen to be in Christ. So think about it. When you put your faith in Jesus and repent of your sins and confess him publicly and baptize into Christ, you should be totally confident that the debt for your sin has been paid. Now, you know, I think most of us understand that. I mean, most of the people who understand the gospel believe that's true. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you don't have a big problem feeling forgiven for the sins you committed before you gave your life to Christ. What I struggle with is the things I did wrong since I became a follower of Jesus. I mean, I've committed some sins of stumbling and commission and omission and toxic thoughts yesterday. I mean, what about the debt of that sin? You know, Paul writes about this in Romans 7. He says, although I want to do good, man, I'm telling you, evil is right there with me. Now, if you think, well, that's how I feel, Cam. And me and the Apostle Paul, we're the only two people who feel this way. We're the only two folks who struggle with this. Let me help you out. Let me see the hands of everybody here today who has been a follower of Jesus for over 20 years. It's been over 20 years since you, on your own, gave your life to Jesus and you became a disciple of Christ. Hold your hand up. Y'all look around. You know what you're looking at these hands? These are mature followers of Jesus. These are long-term, long, strong followers of Christ, mature believers, all right? Now, let me ask that same group of folks again. Raise your hand if you've been following Jesus for more than 20 years and you have lived a perfect life since the day you gave your life to Christ. I'm not seeing a single hand except for one guy with Alzheimer's and we know what that's about. All right. Ah, that's kidding. That's not funny. I'm, I'm sorry. I take that back. All right. I'm sorry about that. All right. Let me ask you this. Okay. Mature believers, since you blew it on that last one, let me see, ask you another question. How many of you have lived a perfect life since January 1st, 2020? Just this month, who's lived a perfect life? No hands. Now, look, these are mature followers of Jesus and nobody's raising their hands. So friends, get this. The great news is that God doesn't just forgive our past. He offers to forgive the sins in the present, which is why Jesus taught you when you pray, you should always pray, Lord, forgive me for my debts. Forgive me for my trespasses. Well, like the little kid said, forgive me for my trash buckets and the people who put their trash in my bucket. Forgive me. <laughs> Listen, we have an ongoing sin problem. There's an ongoing sin debt that we need to acknowledge, which is why John wrote to the believers, if we claim to be without sin, he's writing to the church. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Man, anybody who thinks they don't have an ongoing sin problem has a blind spot. 
It's called self-deception. Now, here's the reality. God does not see you as a believer, as a sinner. That is not your identity. He doesn't look at you that way because you have received the grace that comes through his son. But John is writing to Christian people and he is reminding them that it is normal for you to still struggle with sin. So, he goes on to say, if we confess our sins, that means if we admit that we still have this ongoing need for God's forgiveness every day, man, don't get proud like you're perfect. Uh, don't get silent like, you know, there's something weird about you. Just stay real, stay close to God. If we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and then purify us from all unrighteousness. Now look at this word I highlighted here, just. This word just seems out of place, doesn't it? That God is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Normally, when we think about the word just, we think of condemnation for sin. And here it's saying that God is just when he forgives your sins. Friends, this passage is a reminder that for God to forgive a disciple of those sins that you committed yesterday is just. It's the right thing for him to do. This passage says that God is just being just when he forgives us. Now, why is his forgiveness justice? Because our debt has already been paid at, in full at the cross. Because Jesus is God, and he saw our sin, past, present, and future. And dude, when he died on our, the cross for our sins, he died once for all, for all of our sins. You know, a few years ago, I was um, at a little restaurant getting some taco therapy, which is really good for my attitude. And I saw one of our pastors having lunch with two Polish people. Uh, Daniel and Aditya Barzinyak, these are wonderful people. I'd never seen them before. This is the first time they ever came to Savannah. These are now our partners in Poland, and they are extraordinary folks. And so they were having a little Mexican food. I finished before they did. So on the way out the door, I asked the guy for their check so I could pay for their lunch. I love these guys. I wanted to honor them. You know, people bless me like this all the time, uh, and I wanted to bless them, and so I was glad to do that. The next day I saw them uh, here at church, and they thanked me for paying them for their lunch. And to be honest with you, my first thought was, Whew. And my second thought was, my pleasure, you're welcome. And then they said, so where are you having lunch tomorrow? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, but anyway, the reason I said, whew, is because I have trust issues. Now, I know some of y'all are thinking, pastor, you're our pastor. You have trust issues. Yes, because I'm a pastor. I don't trust anybody. You're the guys who gave me trust issues. Can I just tell you? All right. But you know, when you walk out of a restaurant and you don't tell the people you're paying for their lunch, but you just pay the guy up at the front desk, you have to put your faith in the fact that that waiter is not going to pocket your money and make them pay again, which would be a sin, which would cause the wrath of Cam to come down like an anvil, all right? It would be unjust for them to make my friends pay again for a meal that I've already paid for in advance because that bill has been paid in full in advance already. And can I just say humbly and with fear and trembling, because I think a lot of people presume on the grace of God on this issue. But man, if you are in Christ, every sin you have ever committed or will ever commit in the future has already been paid for by the, in full on the cross by Jesus. Anybody want to say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord, man. That's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. So when I say, Father, forgive me my debts, I think I should be specific about that so I can thank him for forgiving me because I know 
that the sins I committed yesterday after I gave my life to Jesus added to the weight that my Lord had to bear on the cross. Father, my speech was crude yesterday. I promise you I wasn't going to use that kind of language anymore. And I stumbled yesterday. Please forgive me. Father, I got irritated with my family. I got impatient with them over nothing. Nothing. I know that's a sin. Please forgive me. Father, I lied yesterday. Somebody asked me how I was doing. I just didn't want to go there. So I was dishonest. I didn't have to be dishonest, but I was dishonest. So Lord, please forgive me. Father, I worry. I worry about the same stinking thing over and over and over again. Lord, I stay up at night worrying about it. And I know you want me to trust you with this. I know this worry is a sin. So please forgive me. I just want to thank you again, Father, for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me of all my sin. Communion is made for this. Communion is made for this. To say thank you for all the ways you have forgiven me this week. Anybody here want to thank God that he forgives us all in Christ? Anybody want to thank the Lord? Let's thank God. Thank God. Thank God. But then Jesus goes on and says, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, let me ask you, what are you doing with the people who owe you a debt, a sin debt? Friends, look at this. Just like we sin against God, Jesus acknowledged that there would be people who would sin against us. And in that sense, they would owe a sin debt to us. Drunk driver slams into your car. Your life is never going to be the same again. What are you going to do with that guy? Family member takes advantage of you at the reading of the will. What are you going to do about them? Former spouse leaves you financially and emotionally broken. Employee embezzles money and hurts your company. Employer doesn't fulfill his promises, leaves you out in the cold. Church leader wounds you, disappoints you, never makes it right. What are you going to do with that debt? Somebody owes you an apology. Somebody owes you an explanation. Somebody owes you a childhood. Somebody owes you a family. You go spend the rest of your life like a bill collector, making yourself and everybody else miserable while you're trying to get even? I mean, listen, as an undeserving person who was forgiven an immense debt by Jesus, what are you going to do with those who are in your debt? What are you going to do? Let me leave you with some thoughts, and then I want to call you to action. Friends, supernatural forgiveness is normal for people who have been supernaturally forgiven. Everybody say normal. 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 If you've been supernaturally forgiven, it is normal for you to be a supernatural forgiver. Friends, when Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, apparently he assumes that we will need to give to others the gift that we have received. He assumes that we'll get hurt and we'll have to decide what to do. And that we will respond the way we've been blessed. You know, back in, uh, not back, forward in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about a king who had this guy who owed him like this astronomical amount, 20, $20 billion, right? I mean, this guy is so, he is so upside down. There is no way in the world he would ever be able to pay this back. And so the king calls in the note and this guy comes to him and says, please, please give me some more time. And of course, everybody's laughing, more time. Dude, all the time in the world, you couldn't pay this debt back. And he just begs the king, please, please give me some more time. I'll pay you, I promise. And then it says the king felt compassion for him. And he finally says, look, I'll not only give you what you asked for time, I'll give you what you didn't have the nerve to ask for. I will forgive you this debt. I'm going to write it off. You are free. 
And he's like, what? Grace is amazing, right? Until he walks out into the street and he bumps into a guy who owes him 20 bucks, a parking ticket on Broughton Street. <laughs> 20 bucks. And he grabs this guy by the throat. Pay me back what you owe me. You're going to pay me, man. And the guy just pleads with him, please give me some time. I'll work. I'll do whatever. I'll pay you back. I promise. Just give me some time. And this guy who had just been forgiven millions refuses to show mercy or give the guy who owes him anything. No time. No forgiveness. Throws the man in jail over 20 bucks. And when the servants of the king saw this, they were dumbfounded. They were outraged, Matthew says. They told the king everything that had happened. And when he heard that that servant who had, forgiven an un, who had been forgiven an unpayable debt had treated the man who owed him a paltry sum in this evil, horrible way, how dare you, after you have been forgiven so much, to forgive nothing, the king was furious and took that formerly forgiven servant and thrust him in the jail for the rest of his life. And of course, the point Jesus is trying to make is if God forgives us this unpayable $20 million sin debt that we owe him, how can we not be willing to forgive those who just owe us 20 bucks worth? And I know what some of y'all are thinking right now. Cam, you don't know what they've done to me. It's more than $20, bro. You don't know what it's like. I bet Jesus does. I bet Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked, ridiculed, abandoned, beaten, abused, isolated, falsely accused, betrayed by friends, people that he trusted. He knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to be betrayed with a kiss. He knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to serve people who don't give a rip, don't show any respect, don't show any appreciation. And friends, when we need to forgive a debt, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because we are going to find help when we really need it because our Lord gets it. He understands. He's been hurt more than you and he can help you. So supernatural forgiveness is normal. I think we also need to embrace the fact that supernatural forgiveness is a process. Everybody say process. Now, if forgiveness is a process, that means it generally doesn't happen all at once, okay? I mean, wouldn't it be great if we were like God and we could just forgive a person and then forget it, man? The relationship would be restored, never going to come up again. But you know, the truth is, for most of us, forgiveness takes time. And listen, man, huge debts <clears throat> are usually paid on an installment plan. <laughs> you know, Lewis Smedes is a famous Christian counselor, and he wrote a book years ago called Forgive and Forget. It's a great book. And he suggests that when we forgive people, it generally comes in four stages. First is the hurt. Now listen, look, look at me. Compassion Christians. If you get hurt about every little thing, you need to grow up. Can I get an amen? amen? Come on, man. I mean, if every little thing ticks you off, if every little thing offends you, that's ego. That's not justice. Dude, you need to stop being offended so easily. I mean, if anything can offend you, <laughs> you just need to learn to let some stuff go, all right? But the truth is, sometimes we do get hit. And man, the pain is so deep, we can't just let it go. That's the hurt stage. The second stage is anger. 
You might think, Cam, that doesn't sound very godly to me. Anger, what are you talking about? Hey, I ain't saying it's godly. I'm just saying that's the second stage, all right? I mean, it happens to you, and you can't shake it. You, you just can't get past how much you were hurt, how disappointed you were. You struggle even to pray about it. You try to pray about it and can't pray about it. Sometimes you want the person who hurt you to suffer like you suffered. And you do some stuff to make that happen. You've got a sense of justice is wounded. And so you're looking for a way to get even. You're going to let them know about it. You're going to let other people know about it. You're going to talk to your friends about it. You're going to badmouth them. Kind of like the little boy who got a spanking from his father. And then that night, you know, the dad came into his room to pray with him at bedtime. And the little boy knelt down and said, God bless mommy and grandma and grandpa and my brother Billy. Amen. And then looked up at his dad and said, I hope you noticed you weren't in it. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, you know, sometimes, man, we're just tempted to try to find a way to wound the people who have wounded us. Stage three, though, healing through confession. Everybody say confession. confession. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, said, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you will be healed. You'll be healed. Look, you've got to acknowledge the hurt, the sin, the pain. You've got to start talking to somebody about it. You've got to talk out loud. This is why we want you into a discipleship group. This is why we want you on a ministry team. This is why we want you to have Christian friends. So when you get hurt, because you're going to get hurt, when you get hurt, you've got somebody you can talk to about it. Talk to God. Yes, of course. He's the one who knows everything. He will forgive you. But friends, I'm telling you, when I have struggled to forgive somebody, it is only when I've confessed it to a trusted friend that healing has come to me. I mean, of course, God, I know God's going to forgive me. But when I have to talk about my unforgiving spirit to a trusted friend, it makes me deal with it. Now, I've said this many times before, but, you know, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness. We confess our sins to others for healing. And then the fourth stage is reconciliation. This is where you try to make it right. You know, you reach out to the person who hurt you. You extend forgiveness to somebody that doesn't deserve it, maybe. You, forgive, you extend the forgiveness that you've received to the person who has sinned against you. And friends, as we've said before, this fourth stage, you know, it depends on the other person that, you know, who, who hurt you as much as it depends on you. I mean, it takes two people to reconcile. One person can forgive, but two people have to be involved to reconcile. There's got to be apology and repentance and honesty. And I mean, you can forgive somebody who will never apologize, who will never come back. But you don't have to carry that hate around because of them. Though you may never be able to completely trust them or reconcile with them because they refuse to repent, you can at the very least reach that third stage of forgiveness where healing comes to your heart regardless of what they do. But friends, forgiveness is a process. It takes time. But let me tell you how it starts. It starts with prayer. Supernatural forgiveness begins with prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. Now, friends, there are other steps that often have to be taken for reconciliation. You may need to gently confront somebody. Uh, you may need to talk it over with a friend. Uh, you may need to intentionally express kindness to the one who hurt you. And you're not doing it for them as much as you're doing it you know, for your own soul's healing. But the place to begin is prayer. I'm telling you, it is hard to hate somebody you're praying for every day. Amen. I think maybe the best illustration I've ever seen of this is Ruby Bridges. You know that name? Uh, you may remember that name. If it sounds familiar, Ruby Bridges was a six-year-old girl in 1960 who became the first African-American to attend an all-white school in New Orleans. You may remember that Norman Rockwell uh, did a painting that he entitled The Problem We All Live With. 
and it depicted Ruby Bridges being escorted into her elementary school with, by federal marshals who were sent there by President Dwight Eisenhower. She was selected as one of four first graders to integrate two elementary schools. And she was sent, she was sent to one of those elementary schools to integrate it all by herself. She walked under the only black student, six years old, William Franz Public School in New Orleans. On our first day, she had to walk through hundreds of protesters who gathered outside the school. She said she remembered somebody carrying a, a black doll in a coffin. She said when she walked through that crowd, she was spit on. She was cursed at. Her life was threatened. They wouldn't even let her eat at school because one of the cooks had threatened to poison her food. And so the federal marshals brought food from her mama's table for her to eat every day at school. It was horrible. She had nightmares. She would wake up in the middle of the night screaming with these horrible nightmares and she would run to her mom. I'm having a nightmare. And her mama would say, Ruby, did you say your prayers? <laughs> did you say your prayers? And Ruby writes in this book, in her book, Through My Eyes. She said, somehow it always worked. Kneeling at the side of my bed and talking to the Lord made everything okay. She writes, my mother and our pastor always said, you have to pray for your enemies and the people who do you wrong. And so that's what I did. A child psychologist from Harvard by the name of Robert Coles, Dr. Robert Coles, uh, documented some of her prayers in his children's book, the, the Story of Ruby Bridges. And he stayed in New Orleans watching this little girl to school, and he could not understand how she coped. How did she cope with everything that's going on? He didn't understand why she didn't have more symptoms after he met her. She didn't seem to be angry. She didn't seem to be bitter or depressed. One morning when she was walking to school, Ruby's teacher saw her stop in front of an angry mob that was cursing her and yelling at her. And Ruby's teacher said, I saw Ruby's lips moving, and then I told Dr. Coles about it. And when he met with Ruby that afternoon, he asked her, when you were in front of the crowd, what were you saying? Ruby said, I wasn't talking to them. I was praying for them. And Dr. Coles points out that Ruby's parents, who could not read or write, taught their daughter to obey the Bible and pray and do what Jesus said to do. And the Bible says you should pray for your enemies. And that's what she did. And that's what you need to do. If you have an enemy, if you're harboring unforgiveness because of a sin debt that somebody owes you, you need to pray for your enemies and forgive them. You know, the last few weeks, <clears throat> you have been courageously facing your blind spots. And I'm so proud of you guys. I'm not proud. I'm not proud. That's not Christian. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the courageous way you've dealt with some of these blind spots. Jesus has put his finger on something for all of us. I mean, unless you've been asleep, I'm pretty confident the Holy Spirit has moved you to pray or confess or repent or rethink or change or go another direction over some blind spot in your life, something that you have not been able to see until now. And today we're going to give you an opportunity to move from hurt through anger to healing and hopefully reconciliation. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that if you don't summon your courage like little Ruby and not just pray, but take some steps in the next 48 hours, this blind spot's going to settle back in. And God only knows how much you're going to have to pay for it for the rest of your life. So here's the invitation. You have this card on your seat at every campus. I want to encourage you to write what you know you've been forgiven for on the black side, on one side, 
and what you need to be offering forgiveness for on the other. Maybe it's some secret sin that you just need to confess to God. Maybe it's some old grudge that you've been coddling because it makes you feel superior to the person who hates you, who hurt you. Or maybe it's some hate that you feel because of some wrong in the past. And I want to encourage you to write it on the dark side of this card like I did. Keep the white side so that you remember these this day and walk down to one of these shredders and just give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Lord, I'm not holding on to this hate. <laughs> not one more day. Lord, I'm not, that was a bad sin right there. You see how long it took? I'm not letting this secret sin corrupt my character anymore. Lord, I'm confessing this in writing so that you and I and them can let the healing begin. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us, Lord, to do the right thing, to receive forgiveness. Lord, you don't want anybody to be lost. You don't want anybody to be victimized by their own sin. Lord, you don't want anybody to feel the, the chains of guilt or the, the, the rage of anger, the pain of jealousy. You don't want us, Lord, to be consumed by greed. You want us, Lord, to name it and release it to you. And I pray, God, that that is exactly what's going to happen today at all of our campuses as we summon our courage and we write it down and we say it to you and then we say it to someone else. And I pray this in Jesus' strong name, Lord. Amen.